I'm Rob. I'm Michelle. And this is Two Two Librarians librarians Walk Into a a Shelf. Hi, I'm Alex. I am the Circulation Manager at the Madison Public Library. The glue that holds the branch together. Absolutely. (laughs) So Alex is joining us today to give us some recommendations on some media that represent members of our community in authentic ways. Uh, This is our Pride Month episode, so Alex is going to give us some recommendations to give us some nice recommendations for people who want to read about the queer population in a way that isn't exploitative. Yeah, I'm basically just going to talk about stuff I like. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, that's cool. No, that's awesome. Um, so I guess because I just, I just, and I think you were here when I just got um, The Secret to Superhuman Strength from Alison Bechtel. Yes. <laughs> I put a hold on that the instant I realized it was out. Alison Bechtel has like, it's probably overstated to say, no, it's not overstated. It's probably cliche to say that Are You My Mother by Alison Bechtel changed my life. But I read both Fun Home and Are You My Mother when I was in college. And then I actually got to meet Alison Bechtel. And here's, I feel like this is like one of those things that when you're a young queer person, you feel like every older queer person is like super cool and like has their life together and all of this stuff. And I, when I got to meet her, I went to her and was like, I just, I'm sure you hear this all the time, but Are You My Mother changed my life. And she looked me dead in the eye and went, no, I've never heard that before. <laughs> And and she was adorably awkward. And um, we later had a conversation just about like the eclairs that the catering had had. And that was it. That was the only conversation we had. But she asked me about the food and not anyone else about the food. So I was like, oh, Alison Bechtel is cute. But it was was cool to meet someone and realize like, oh, I can be like a regular person and queer. And, uh, you know, so I just got The Secret to Superhuman Strength, which is a memoir of her time over 2020 during um, (laughs) the big bad quarantine. And it's a story of her personal resilience and getting through that. And of course, you know, by extension, a little bit just queer resilience, because that's, that's a thread that, that really resonates with queer folks is the long haul, getting through the long haul um, of stuff that stresses us out. So I definitely recommend anything by Alison Bechtel. She's also the author and artist behind Dykes to Watch Out For, <laughs> um, which is where she got her start as as a comics artist and writer before she started writing the graphic memoirs. And those are very cute. That's where like the origination of the Bechtel test comes mm-hmm. from, which is uh, often misconstrued a little bit, but it was originally intended for like assessing <laughs> how how interested in a movie lesbians might be. And then it got extrapolated out into this more like broad feminist concept. Um, but the original comic is really cute where they're using the Bechtel test, like Alison Bechtel's character and the person she's dating, I think, are like trying to find a movie that they want to watch that involves, right, two women who are named characters who talk to each other, but not about a man. And they realize, oh, there's really nothing. Let's just go home. Doesn't <laughs> Let's just go home and watch a movie instead. Because um, there's nothing in the theater at the time. Um, what other media am I, what am I currently into? I grew up on stuff like Sailor Moon, mm-hmm. <laughs> which might, I don't know, be dating me a little bit. Cause I got to watch it. We date ourselves all the time. As, it's cool. All the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but Sailor Moon was really transformative for me because as I got to watch it, as it was coming out in the U S so there was 
very little precedent for some of the moves this anime was making until we got to the season where two of the characters who in the original show and in the original manga were lesbians or at least queer. I mean, one of the characters is actually described as being non-binary or bi-gender in the manga and it's implied in the show as well. And in the American dub or in the U S dub, they became cousins. Awkward. Which was really alarming to me. It was very alarming to me um, watching that. Because I was like, I don't feel like that's quite right. But I was fortunate in that I got to read the manga too. And the manga wasn't being edited. It was just translated straight from the Mm -hmm. Japanese. But they weren't censoring anything. So as I was reading the manga, I understood, oh, these two characters are actually in a relationship. In a romantic relationship. And I was also fortunate in that my parents didn't like pre-screen a lot of what I read. If I told them I was into something, they were like, okay, awesome. Then it made like birthday shopping and Christmas shopping really easy because they knew they just got me the next book in the series and I was good to go. So they didn't know that they were lesbians in it until (laughs) one of them was looking over my shoulder and they happened to see the panel of two characters kissing, both of whom were female. And And it was my dad and he was like, are they lesbians? And I went, what's a lesbian? (laughs) And I got to learn, and he was like, oh, mm -mm. well, and he got to teach me what a lesbian is, which was great. And from there, like, it's probably sort of gauche to, like, credit a cartoon for your own, like, gender and sexuality discovery. But I do have a Sailor Uranus tattoo on my body because that character and her androgyny specifically, like, really resonated with me in a way that I didn't understand in fourth grade, like on an intellectual level. But as I got older, I realized like, oh, this is what a non-binary gender looks like. This is what it means to be gender non-conforming and and comfortable in your skin and all of these things. And it was especially meaningful as I grew older to see this character who like, he was often played for a joke that she was mistaken for a boy. But um, at least in the U.S. show, she still used she, her pronouns and the original Japanese show though, she did switch pronouns and would switch between the masculine and the feminine. And then the manga, she even went as far as like, she would switch between the masculine and feminine pronouns and her presentation. So in the show, you never see her in a dress, but in a in the manga, she'll wear dresses and skirts and things and was very fluid in her gender. And that meant a lot to me to kind of come back to my femininity later on in life. Um, There's, I think, a tendency, especially for non-binary people or non-binary people who are assigned female at birth, to think that to be sufficiently queer or sufficiently non-binary, you have to reject femininity and shoot for this, like, masculine side of androgynous. And that really stressed me out for a while, honestly, because I'm like, that's not me. That's not where I'm most comfortable And so getting to see this character like so early in my life and then to keep to hang on to her for a while, you know, really helped, did help inform some of my gender expression and my comfort in non-binary gender. I love Sailor Moon. It's also just such a good show. It's just so good. It's a little dated. I will admit to that. It is. Um, The manga is very dated. So, you know, content warnings for body shaming and lots of emphasis on like dating. And it's Mm -hmm. still very heteronormative in a lot of ways. But um I hear Crystal is better, <laughs> and I say that because I haven't actually watched it. Mm-hmm. I'm a little bit of a purist. I don't like the animation style that much. 
<laughs> so I haven't actually watched Crystal. <laughs> I haven't. Um, but now that they've gotten to the point where Sailor Uranus and Neptune show up, I'm probably going to at least watch that season because, again, Sailor Uranus is my girl. And I got to at least watch it for her. All right. So you got cartoons. Mm-hmm. You got some graphics. Mm-hmm. Do you have movies? Oh, let's see. Movies are harder mostly because I don't watch a lot of movies. Okay. I, there are movies that I like. Like Boys Don't Cry also changed me on a very deep level. And I remember when Brokeback Mountain came out, and I actually did get to see it in theaters. Not because either of my parents wanted to go see it, but because I was working at my stepdad's restaurant. And one of the folks there wanted to see it. And so he asked my parents for permission. Like, to be clear, he was like, I know Alex isn't 17 yet or whatever, but they really want to see this movie. Can, is it cool if I take them? And they were like, okay, sure. <laughs> Why not? Alex, Alex can handle it. So I got to go watch it with a coworker, basically. But I also have, of course, you know, some complicated feelings about, especially bestseller blockbuster type movies, because they're usually either tragedies mm-hmm. or queer folk are played for laughs. So it's hard to find representation in like mainstream film. Obviously like now you can go on Netflix and there'll be a whole category of, of LGBTQ film. I just am really bad at sitting down and watching them. <laughs> I'm really bad at it. I'm really bad at it. I'm also really bad at it. But we were talking the other day too about like, I guess uh, about like interpreting film through queer lens is, yeah. is something that's, you know, that I enjoy doing. Um, and it's a part two of transformative fandom, which I think maybe you talked to Monday about transformative fandom and, you know, approaching things, especially things like mainstream comic books, mainstream television, and reimagining characters as queer or neurodivergent or things like that. And, you know, trying to reshape some of these like mainstream narratives so that if they were queer friendly, what would they look like? And that was fun for a while. <laughs> I say that as a recovering Marvel addict. I'm like <laughs> trying to move away from the Marvel Cinematic Universe now because at the end of the day, like Disney's not going to give us the representation we need, you know? Surely I've seen a movie lately. Any TV shows? Oh, I'm even worse at TV. You're even worse at TV. Okay. <laughs> Except for cartoons. I rewatch Steven Universe on Hulu pretty regularly. Oh, the best. <laughs> and they won't put the new season up. No, I had to buy it. I'm really... Angry because I had to buy it because we hadn't seen it. It's we've watched the whole thing a bunch of times through. We watched yeah. it during quarantine and we ended up buying it because we couldn't get the fifth season anywhere. Got the movie, we sing the song. Anyway, the movie universe. was delightful. It was delightful. <laughs> and I will say this I ended up watching the movie with my father, who's not seen a single episode of Steven Universe, mm-hmm. and my sister, who's maybe seen one. And I mean, they knew, obviously they went in knowing it was animated. I don't think they went in quite prepared for how musical it was. (laughs) And and so, you know, like a Disney movie has like, I don't know, seven songs in it or whatever. And they're spaced out. Mm -hmm. And Steven Universe was like song, song, song. Like it is a musical. Um, At some point, my dad was like, do they ever stop singing? And I'm like, I've not seen the movie, but no, probably not. No, you're in this. Mm -hmm. You're on this ride with me now. Until we got to the song where... Stephen and Greg fuse, what is it, independent together. He was like, all right, this one's pretty good. <laughs> he also really likes Garnet. He loves Garnet's music. Well, sure. Um, so, yeah, no, most of my favorite queer representation comes, and on TV comes from cartoons. I just, again, just don't have the patience to watch 
TV, unless it's a binge situation. <laughs> right. I got you. Well, I think there's more shows coming out that have queer characters. And one that we had talked about before we started recording, Shit's Creek, is hilarious. It is. And it's a very, it's very funny. It's very big. The characters are, are big and loud. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a family that had a lot of money that lost all their money, but they own this little town in this backwoods Canadian area and their son's uh, queer. And his character is able to grow as a character. Like I've never seen in a show before where he falls in love and, and eventually gets married. And it, for me, it was great because it's, it's again, I've never seen that in a show. And I'm sure there's been plenty of shows and movies that have that. But it just shows this loving family. Like, it's not, it was never an issue. Like, they understand who David is, the character. And it's, everything is, is you know, it just goes from there. He's just getting married. It was very different. And I appreciate that, that it was told like that because... It was written by the father and son that, that play father and son, uh, Eugene and Dan Levy. So they, they didn't have to give you all this backstory on, on how difficult the characters were. Or their, you, you just learn that. And, and their struggles were, you know, waking up in a different town <laughs> with people he didn't even remember. You know, like he was always causing trouble and it was always like this big, crazy trouble. But it was told with a lot of heart and humor, and I think that stories like that help kind of uh, maybe connect everybody. You know, it's all a human story. Yeah, and I love that about it. And I hate that it ended, but at least he he they won Emmys and awards for the last season. Well, you know that's the thing, right? And you know, it, I think there's something you said for a show ending, knowing when to end. <laughs> Yeah, that's well. true. Um, that's true. You know, don't turn into Supernatural or whatever. I could have oh, no. kept watching. Oh, God, no. <laughs> I could have kept watching it, though, because the characters are great. Yeah. Brother and sister. Uh, anyway. Yeah, I've heard nothing but good things about Shit's Creek, and I have plenty of friends who are queer who are into Shit's Creek. So, like, clearly Shit's Creek's doing something right. Yeah. I just have to. That's the one with the it's lady the who's, like. little rom-com, and the, some characters happen to also be gay. Like, yeah. It's not. You know, it's just like normal life. Yes. It could, yeah, and and I think there needs to be way more of that. Absolutely, absolutely. Moonlight, Moonlight was a movie. Sorry, I'm just, I'm like backpedaling. You're now. good. Um, I just realized I did see Moonlight, and again, not like a rom com by any means, but also not a tragedy, which is always a genuinely refreshing thing to find. Is Shit's Creek the one with the because? I'm just now starting to where the meme of like how much could a loaf of bread cost? What, yes. like $10 or something? Okay. Yeah. All right. Cool, 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 cool. I'm starting to, okay. I understand why that show is so relatable. <laughs> it's very funny. Cause I see that meme all the time and I'm like, yes. And the, the characters, they're so absurd, but also so relatable at the same time. That show is excellent. They did such a good job. I guess it's mostly Dan Levy that wrote it. Yeah. He yeah. did such a good job and he definitely deserved his awards for that. Did you, I think we talked about this, um, on Hulu over Christmas, they had one of their like cheesy Christmas movies called The Happiest Season, starring Kristen Stewart, who is amazing and everything. I love Kristen Stewart. Including Twilight, which Rob's going to watch. Well. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but it was just a rom-com then, and the, the two main characters were lesbians. Like, 
We need yeah. more of that. It's Absolutely. just a rom-com, but a broader reach of representation. Absolutely. Because it's, yeah, because, you know, the question, the talk about representation, especially around LGBT representation, isn't so much that, like, we don't need stories about coming out or hate crime mm-hmm. or anything like that. Like, obviously, these are important stories, and they're they're not, they're not irrelevant, you yeah. know. But we run the risk of tokenizing this entire population of people if we don't also get stories of them, yeah, raising a family, getting married, traveling, just working and, and living everyday life, you know, in a way that's not always centered around their sexuality or their gender. But yeah, and it's one of those things that's like, when we talk about representation, it's important to really distinguish like what positive representation is. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause that's a conversation to be had a lot about, especially in like mainstream franchises, right? Certain large companies want to pat themselves on their back for the first gay character, but that gay character that is on screen for three seconds or that character is a villain or something. And it's like, okay, well at that point, it's it's not it's not the sort of all else being equal representation that's really helpful or empowering for people that you know you can get away with because because people want to argue well you know if you want gay representation then you should have gay villains and all these other things like sure but where are the gay heroes we don't have any in mainstream film or you know the gay moms the disabled queer people like there's so much representation that's missing. Before we can be like, okay, now we can have more queer coded villains again. <laughs> like, you know, like that's right. cool because there's these other options. But when your options are villain, dead, or um, comedic relief, it's like, all right, well, I'll just go write my own fan fiction or whatever, you right. know? So, how different would Die Hard be or Lethal Weapon if they were two gay cops? It wouldn't be. I'm just saying. <laughs> I, think I see what you're saying. I think that's the point. No, I, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. I guess I'm just like, are people ready for that? I mean, what's it going to take to get like a gay James Bond or a gay whatever? Uh, oof, that's a big question. Um, I mean, especially when we look at the big picture of how movies are made, how movies are funded, like could you get like a, a gay buddy cop movie? I don't know. I'm sure. Like I just learned. Okay. Let me back up a little bit. I just learned that most Hollywood movies that have any U.S. military representation at all um, generally receive funding from the Pentagon to present the military in like a positive light. I also learned that Guillermo del Toro, who directed Pacific Rim, which does represent the military, albeit futuristically, declined that funding specifically so he wouldn't have to be beholden to anybody's agenda. And I think that's kind of what it would take is to separate for individual, probably to start individual directors, you know, saying like, I get, you know, I appreciate the funding, but if it means I have to censor myself or my message in any way or rewrite this character a certain way, you know, that obviously has to stop, especially if you wanted like a buddy cop film, which I'm not going to comment on, but beyond that, um, things like, uh, not, you know, like being very cognizant of casting, you know, there's always, there's the eternal debate about should cisgender people play trans characters. 
And my argument is no, at least until enough trans actors are also reaching the level of fame and um, financial security as Eddie Redmayne and Scarlett Johansson, you know, Eddie Redmayne and Scarlett Johansson already have careers. They're fine. They don't need to be playing, you know, trans characters when they are trans actors who could be filling these roles and telling their stories authentically, you know, being cognizant of stuff like that, getting queer folks in the writer's room and, you know, in the director's chair, and then as, cause that's, cause that's the thing, right? Like queer stories obviously resonate with other queer folks or can resonate with other queer folks. Cause again, not a monolith, you know? Um, but ultimately, you know, our, our stories aren't much different than anyone else's, you know, the story right. of my life is not much different than um, my straight best friend's. You know, there are some lived experiences, obviously, that I have that have shaped me and my philosophies and things. But I don't think my story is uninteresting to other people or would be uninteresting to other people. If it were, I wouldn't be recording two podcasts today about it. <laughs> just saying. Heck yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? um, and a lot of it, too, comes. Yeah, it just comes to like also having folks who have the power to leverage what movies are made, what movies are funded. To just do it. Because I think the demand is out there. You know, I think people are more ready to see these stories than Hollywood is to make them, ultimately. I think you're probably right because there's a, it was, it's a cop show. CJ Box novels were turned into a TV show on ABC. Mm-hmm. It's called Big Sky. So if you're not familiar with CJ Box, it's like Wyoming detective okay. murder, mystery, crime stuff. In the first season, one of the major storylines is like th- three girls get kidnapped. One is a trans, trans girl. I need to say that properly. I'm so sorry. Anyway, the actor is trans. She's been on talk shows discussing how she got the the role and she's the first network trans woman to play that kind of role. And that represents, and it's just part of the story. She becomes part of the family. Everything is like, it's not a tokenized character. Right. And I was shocked to see that in a network television show. Mm And so I think we're getting there just so far away still. Yeah. yeah. It's just one character and one show. Yeah. And I mean, there are like a handful of shows, right? Like um, Orange is the New Black has a non-binary actor. Um, the, I can't remember the character's name. Rose something. No, that's the actor's name. Terrible. I, um, I, have, I never watched that show. Laverne Cox is the actor. The actress. Well, Laverne Cox is on there. I was thinking of the non-binary character who shows up in the later season. Oh, I haven't seen it. Um, well, the actor is non-binary. The character, I think, uses she, her pronouns, and it's not really addressed later on. She becomes like a secondary love interest of Piper. Um, okay. But yeah, Orange is the New Black. I totally watched that show. <laughs> I completely forgot about it because I ended up getting annoyed with it because Piper annoys the bejesus out of me. Oh, uh, yeah. And when Pousset died, spoiler alert, I rage quit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because because Orange is a New Black is one of the shows, right, that has plenty of queer actors yes. on there and queer characters. And it's not necessarily presented in, I mean, you know, it's sort of this farcical prison, but also I have complicated feelings about prisons and blah, blah, blah. Sure. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, there's a show that just seamlessly integrated at least, you know, representation without making everybody's storyline about Necessi- well, Laverne Cox's storyline was largely about being trans, but um, I think that was significant 
two, to have a black trans woman mm-hmm. represent on a show that just, I mean, everybody was watching. Everybody was watching this show. Yep. And that's huge. And she readily embraced that. You know, that's that wasn't a role that she was, like, necessarily foisted in. I mean, that's one where she said, like, this representation is happening, and it's happening now. Right. And that's significant, too, is to have that agency and, and again, how our stories are told and who gets to tell them. And it, you know, should be us. This is going to kill me. I can't remember her name. I can't believe I remember her name. Because the actor I'm thinking of is sort of like non-binary Angelina Jolie and, and was in a shark movie. But I can't remember the shark movie either. Deep Blue? Something like that. Deep Blue Sea? I, I, <laughs> There's been a couple Deep Blue Sea movies in the last couple of years. I can't believe I can't remember her name. We have the entire I know. Internet. I have the entire internet in my hand and I can't think of her name. It's okay. We, the magic of editing will just make it like Ruby Rose. Ruby Rose. Yes. Yep. Them. Yep. Okay. Ruby Rose. <laughs> it's like, I know Rose is in there somewhere, but. Okay. We found it. Yeah. Um, yeah. There've been other shows. I, uh, one of the recent Star Trek, Star Trek season shows. Mm-hmm has at least one non-binary character or one binary, non-binary actor on there. And I could probably spend a, a lot of time talking about science fiction and how it's a n- very natural setting to start breaking down gender binaries because we can only, I mean, look at how gender has changed in the last 50 years, right. 100 years. I can only hope in the next 200 years, you know, we'll have advanced mm-hmm. a little further. I think the library plays a big role in that. We have to make resources available represent everybody and it's important to do that absolutely all right well now we have to play the library game are you familiar with the library game? i am familiar with the dun, library dun, dun. Game. all right for those of us in the audience that aren't familiar with the library game where it's the library's version of kiss mary kill we're going to shelve display and discard so you get three three authors or just books you think i would have thought about this ahead of time knowing i was going to get asked like i should have anticipated this probably <laughs> uh, a little bit so who's your sh- your display author this is your kiss author uh i have to go with allison bechtel cool i do everyone needs to read are you my mother i agree and one of these days i'll see fun home on stage it's on my bucket list yeah. to see the, the fun home musical um okay so your shelf books or author like mary you know, I think my shelf would be the Animorph series. Oh my god! By K. A. Applegate. <laughs> wow. I yeah, that's a poll, right? And, <laughs> and no way did we discuss anything about K. A. Applegate. But I read that entire series as a kid, and that series was made me think I wanted to be a writer. Like I loved the writing, I loved the character development, and I love found family stories. And that series is truly like a found family series. Again, super dated. (laughs) (laughs) I noticed that they were making graphic novels that I can only assume will be updated a little bit um, to include things like cell phones, (laughs) wireless internet, (laughs) Uh, you know, because now there's references to like having to go home to call each other on the landline. (laughs) B-ball is said a few times. Oh, B-ball. Oh, basketball. Okay, no one has said that since 1993. Um, But yeah, everyone, I mean, yeah, I got to keep that. All right. repertoire. And discard. You know what? I think I said this last time and I'm going to stand by it. 
I would seriously reconsider any of like any talking heads political books, which probably doesn't hold up against the whole like intellectual freedom. This is thing. your hypothetical fantasy library. That's whatever it's cool. you want. But, whatever you, you know, um, I don't think they help. Yeah. I, I do it doesn't think, matter who it is. It's only making things worse. You know, at some point, room can be, you know, I can use that space for maybe more balanced recollections of history and, and political science and that sort of thing than talking like head a, books. Or like how the Constitution actually works. Right, yeah. Um, and that's like a bipartisan statement. I mean, like, I'd probably make it sound like I would get rid of all of Bill O'Reilly and that's it. But, I mean, just any talking heads, get out of there. <laughs> you know, if we want that, we can go to the Internet and find you, I guess, on YouTube. But, all day. All day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, those books just don't work well after they, a few years. Like, just practically speaking, that book comes out, everyone reads it for six months, and then it just sits on the shelf sits forever. on the shelf, and then, then like, a couple years about later, it. we say goodbye. Don't need you taking up space yep. <laughs> for stuff that'll work better. Yep. Unfortunately, we could have gotten a James Patterson book, which grinds a lot of gears around here. <laughs> I it would have circulated... Deliberately, you just didn't. You didn't want to say James deliberately Patterson. avoiding James Patterson, but I knew he was going to come up. Um, <laughs> Rob can't help himself. I'm trying to remember. He's never written any of those. He's not in the political se- section of. I mean, he's covering a book with Bill Clinton, so he's well, he's ooching his way in there. Yeah, but he's not he is, a talking head so much as a. He's he's he's. I think he's ooching more into like. Maybe biographical type stuff, but he hasn't moved into full, like, killing Clinton television territory or whatever. Not yet. <laughs> he doesn't need to. But I will say this for James Patterson. Uh, when in doubt, if someone's like, hey, I have a friend or a child or whatever who really likes action stories, I'm like, great. No matter how old this person is, there I will find a J. Pats for you. I will find a James Patterson for you. Yep. And I, I we've written. <laughs> We rag on him so much and we shouldn't, but like his books really are like anybody can find a book by James Patterson. He even writes Westerns. And I mean, that man's laughing all the way to the bank. So at the end of the day, Joe's got me. I'm not, I don't have the, the, my name doesn't have the kind of. No. And his kids' books are actually pretty entertaining. His does. The the middle school ones and the Treasure Island ones and stuff. Ah. (laughs) They're okay. Are we becoming J. Pat's apologists? Maybe. The robot family one is is pretty good too. Robots. Well, we know how we feel about robots. Yeah, I mean, come on. I don't on. know about the robots. It's fiction. Oh, whatever. <laughs> That's what the robots want us to think. That's why Skynet worked for all those years. Just Sarah placating Con- us. Sarah Connor's son came and saved us and said everything. And you don't remember how bad it was when Skynet and the machines took over because there's all these ripples in time. But I do. I've seen all those movies. <laughs> Don't you mean documentaries? <laughs> I didn't want to call them that, but yes, the documentaries of the future times that were been in the past. Oh, that's great. Well, you know what they say. Don't trust robots. <laughs> try that again <laughs> i think we need to i think it's fine the way it is <laughs> All right. it just seemed like a natural ending there to talk about skynet and not trusting robots and then we would say 
Don't trust don't robots. Don't trust robots. But we can do that again so that Alex is also involved in the don't trust robots. Because okay. why would you trust a robot? You wouldn't. <laughs> if you do trust robots, you're probably a robot. <laughs> <laughs> do you think all the people with the robot vacuums are robots? I was going to say, or you're either a robot or an engineer. <laughs> or like a, an Alexa. Probably. Not a security engineer, though. Mechanical engineer. No. My security engineer's like, no, don't. My stepfather, who's a mechanical engineer, is like, yeah, I got the Alexa. I got the Roomba. I got the smart thermostat. I'm like, what you, you don't need to control your thermostat from across the state. Like, what are you doing? Stop I'm it. Make sure the house is a toasty 74 when I get home. All right. Well, it's also, like, motion detected. So, like, if I, you know, if it's like, oh, there's a human being in here, I guess I'll start. I'm like, don't do that. I'll, See, I've seen I'll, too I'll many tell movies. you what to do. I've seen too many movies about computerized uh, houses that keep people hostage. Uh, there was that Daffy Duck and Porky Pig cartoon, <laughs> the house of the future. The Simpsons Treehouse of Horrors episode with the Pierce Brosnan home robot. Yes. That scared me to death. <laughs> I was showing him the 3D printer earlier. It could happen here. It scared, And so I've been afraid of robots ever since. That Simpsons Treehouse of Horror episode. Valid. And that's why we say no matter what they tell you, no matter what they try to convince you of, don't, don't trust, trust robots. robots. The views expressed by the hosts are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the Huntsville-Madison County Library System. For more information on the Huntsville-Madison County Public Library, visit us online at hmcpl.org. If you'd like to learn more about some of the topics discussed today, visit your local library, which is us. No representation is made that your librarian is more knowledgeable than other librarians or that they have any expertise on your particular project.